Verse 17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehuiah. I'm sorry, Mehuiel. And Mehuiel fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and his father, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain, and he was the forger of instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nemeah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, so last week, our conversations in group and our focus in the morning was on Genesis chapter 4, the first half of Genesis chapter 4. We're just walking through the book of Genesis, um, and it is cutting-edge information. Uh, this is a very old book, but it is not outdated in any way, shape, or form. And it, last week in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, human being number three, murdered human being number four, his brother, Abel. God had warned him beforehand. God had kept coming back to him. Um, God continually warned him, continually came to Cain, begging Cain. Cain has free will. All of us can freely walk away from God. That's actually part of his love towards us, is we could freely walk away from God, and that's what Cain does. He, he God doesn't ever walk away from him. God only walks towards him, and Cain walks away from God. Cain never hears. He knows what God said, and he does not follow God's leadership of his life. God curses Cain, which um, I think another way to think of it is that God justly sentences him. He's a just judge. He's the just judge, and God justly sentences him. And part of the sentence that God gives to Cain is that the ground that is designed for his flourishing, that the ground will not produce the way it would have produced if Cain would have been walking with God. There's still a curse from Adam and Eve, but there's a double-down curse. And also, he's told that he will be a wanderer on the earth. So verse 17 is like, how does that play out? How does that play out for Cain? I think there's a massive amount for how that should play out in our lives. How does the story go? So we start in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. So this kind of lends the question, if Cain is human being number three, kills human being number four, Abel, 
where does his wife come from? And some, like, intellectual atheists would, like, say, like, deal breaker, you know, and just kind of leave it there. Well, it, it, I think it's a very simple answer. Is she comes from one of Adam and Eve's other kids is the easiest, simplest answer. Because we talked last week about the lady from Russia in the 1700s who the Guinness Book of World Records said she had 69 kids in her short life. And we know very likely Eve lived hundreds of years. Remember, they were designed to live forever. And so it's not unlikely that they lived a really long time. Eve very likely had more than 60 kids. And scripture even said she had other sons and daughters. And in addition to that, like it is creepy and nothing against if this is you in the room, I don't think it is, but it is kind of creepy for like a 60-year-old guy to marry like a 20-year-old girl. Like that just feels weird. Now Jesus can be, he can save through that, redeem, all that stuff, but it's like that just feels weird. Well, would it feel weird if like a 190-year-old guy marries a 140-year-old woman, you know, even though there's like 50 years difference, it's like, I think that's kind of close enough. <laughs> like, it might not feel as weird. And then the genetic pool, like there's a whole bunch of things that you can go into. But what I would say is like, I'm not saying that, that his, Cain's wife is even his sister. I'm saying it could have been like, if each of them are having dozens of kids, like, it could be pretty distant and different generations and still have... Uh, so we don't know um, what generation she is. We don't know any of that, but we know that they are definitely related. But all of them were, right? You can't start with two people and get here without people who are related marrying each other, right? And so, so that is definitely what is happening and we don't know details besides that. And I don't think we need to know details besides that. Um, so then there is the marriage and the next part of verse 17. So in the marriage, Enoch is born. Then second part of verse 17. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Verse 18. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael. I'm taking an alternative pronunciation. Um, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Um, so a few kind of, I think if this was a TV show, like ominous music would start playing in the background as we're reading some of these names. So first of all, I think it's kind of strange that a city has been built and named after Enoch. So there's no mention of God in the founding of this city. And many have seen this as Cain's direct defiance of God's curse. Because remember, God said, the ground will not produce and you will wander. And he goes and builds a city, a permanent residence for him and his family to not wander. Now, I think they end up wandering substantially. You can, you can be in a room and wander. And I think, I think they were in a room and building rooms and wandering. But um, I, I believe Cain is, is being defiant here 
I will build a city. It will not be named after God. I will name it after my descendants who will be many and you will see what we do without you. I'll name it after my son. I'm doing just fine without God. Thank you very much. And uh, Cain seems to be showing this by his life. Enoch has a son, Irad. When they say that someone has a son here, it's not saying like, oh, they each just had one child. They're likely having many children in kind of that time period. And it's been this way in cultures even today where like just the oldest son gets all the inheritance. Doesn't matter how many kids you have, the oldest son gets all the inheritance, you know, and stuff like that. And I think in an agriculture, like you could argue like, man, that would make Iowa easier. I wouldn't say fair, but it would make it easier if you're like, hey, we don't divide farms. It all stays just to one, 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 one. And so in this society, that seems to be a similar way. So it was very important to know who the oldest son was in the lineage of a family. Sorry. Oh, we're back. Um, And so some interesting details are coming in verses 19 through 22. Look at verse 19. And Lamech took two wives. First time we hear of this. Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So Cain's descendants don't just seem to be surviving, they really seem to be thriving. Like they're being innovative. They're, they're in, inventing different ways of, of doing different things. They're, they're living in affluence, it seems like. They're living in indulgence. One wife isn't enough for Lamech. He needs two. They're devoting themselves to city building. They seem to be excelling in having livestock, playing instruments, forging instruments of bronze and iron, Um, And so it seems like they've all gone on to live very productive and significant lives. And I I think it's like a a message for all of us, even in pondering just what seems to be just a random part of the scripture that you might even pass over and not even read to get to the real stuff, is that um, this major point, I would say, building a civilization without God builds rebellion against God. Just like no way around it. Building a civil, and you might be like, well, I'm not a civilization builder, you know, except in a video game or something. I'm not building a civilization. And I would deeply disagree with you. I think everything that we do in our community, it might be, feel like a different scope maybe, but maybe even more important is like, we're caring more about our community and our society, and what we are building here, and the way that God is using even the building of the church to be the building of a community, and with the, just the realization that building a civilization without God builds rebellion against God. There is no mention of God in the entire family line of Cain. I mean, like, if you ask and some of, some of us have family trees like this, where it's like, hey, tell me the story of the last six generations. Oh, man, 
tell you a really colorful history and be like, I noticed they didn't say God one time in that whole story. There is no mention of God in the entire family line of Cain. Cain walked away from the presence of the Lord, and no one who followed Cain returned to the Lord. And this is a sobering warning. This should stop us in our tracks. This should make us evaluate our lives. Like, if, if I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to walk away from the presence of the Lord. This, I think, should really put on me what's the impact for my kids if I do that? What's the impact of my grandkids? What's the impact of my great-grandkids? What's the impact of my family line if I do that? And you could say, well, God could definitely work in spite of you. Yes, he could. Would I want him to? God could work in spite of me, but what if, what if that actually charts a course for generations of people who don't walk with God? Now, what if in one moment you have a relationship with God, give your life to him as people did even last Sunday, what if that charted a course of generations now walking with him, now following in his ways, maybe generational sins that scripture talks about that were just like, man, that was true, that generation, that generation, and it broke. The power of God moved in one heart that actually led many hearts to follow God. And this was actually, Patty and I spent time um, years ago with some mentors who basically were like, what is your family about? Why do you exist? And this person was working off of the idea that most people spend way more time thinking about, strategically thinking about their business. Whatever business they're in, if it's Etsy or whatever, like, like most people spend way more time strategically thinking about business or something else other than what is my family about? What is our mission statement? What, 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 is, what are our values and stuff? And, and we went through this exercise with this mentor, and one of the bedrock things that we landed on that we've been praying into a long time is we said, what if, by God's grace, there are people from our family line worshiping Jesus until he comes back? However long that would be. Like, what if someone from our bloodline gets to hear the trumpet sound while on earth, gets to be caught up in that? And then it was like, well, what should our lives look like? What would that take for us? You know, what, what do we need to say no to? What do we need to say yes to? And all of those things. So God is repeatedly meeting Cain in his time of need. Cain resists repeatedly God's invitation to believe in him to follow him, to find life in him. And God is not mentioned at all, and we get a peek. You could say like, well, maybe they were, maybe you just don't know. It doesn't show what's happening inside. It doesn't give you a little view into like what's happening inside those people's lives. And I would say that is why we have verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, you know, it's like, well, let's go zoom right into his family tree and a conversation between husband and wife. And let's see where that goes. 
Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. (laughs) If you start a conversation with your wife that way, first of all, are they going to listen to what you have to say? Probably, that's probably like, hey, I I think you should maybe have a little marriage counseling of like, if you really want her to listen, uh, maybe not the best way to go about it. But that's the way he went about it. It sounds to me pompous. It sounds prideful. It sounds arrogant. Whatever he's getting ready to say, I'm like, it probably is not anything worth hearing. And he says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So God never supports a person marrying multiple wives. He always is against it. He always speaks against it. It becomes prevalent in the culture of the day. Um, this is the first time it occurs in Scripture. But the indulgence of building a city without God flows into the indulgence of building a family without God. Lamech seems to take this prideful inhale, listen to what I have to say, wife, wives, and then he, he brags about killing a man who only wounded him and a man who was younger than him, likely weaker than him. And he brags about it in a way that when I, when I would read that, like, Oh, Cain, sevenfold. Lamech is 77-fold. God is not mentioned in the family line except here and in a way that is just weird, twisted, and wrong. And it just made me think, like, we just have to be awake sometimes to the reality that even people in our lineage that we love dearly can be just totally wrong as it relates to the things of God. And you can still honor them, love them, and say, I'm not going to follow any longer in that direction. Um, and, and I'm going to follow God's way. Because what he's saying here is, when Cain killed Abel and God sentenced him, Cain said, You're, my sentence is way too hard to bear. People are going to kill me. And he said, if anybody kills you, I will, I will give sevenfold towards that. So God will protect make sure Cain isn't killed by this like sevenfold thing. Well, it seems like Cain, like that gave Cain swagger. Like Cain was like, I'm untouchable. I'm untouchable. Like no one can, you know, it seems like Cain has a swagger about him because he thinks there's, you know, like I now have superpowers, you know, and it's not, that wasn't what God was telling him. God was like, you are sentenced for your sin and you are fleeing from me. I will make sure no one kills you. But you shouldn't look at this as a positive thing. And now Lamech is like, I have 10 times that. I have 11 times. Like, if anybody tries, I'm, I'm in the lineage of Cain, so I'm more untouchable. If anyone tries to kill me for me murdering this guy, uh, it'll be 77 times. And he doesn't mention God at all. So he's twisted, misinterpreted. Um, it's just not living in reality. And he's bragging to his two wives about it. And I think a, another like shot across the bow, clarity in the midst of fog, is that human indulgence cheapens marriage and life. 
you just see that Lamech has a cheap view of marriage and life. And whenever we humans indulge our flesh, the result is a cheapening of marriage and a cheapening of life. What should be treasured is cheapened. What should be fought for is fought against. Cain, walking away from the presence of God, has led his descendants to many worldly innovations, achievements, areas of affluence, and it is godless, cheap, hollow, and pathetic. Verse 25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. So there is a a chance... She had 30 kids between Abel and Seth. I think what is happening here is that we're seeing that what the, the type of faith that Abel had, God has provided another person who will have that type of faith, Seth. God has appointed for me. It's, it's, it's like we've been in a drought for a long time. And finally, it's raining again, and it's a deep, like, multiple-inch rain. Someone mentioned God again. Thank you. Eve acknowledges God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. I've, uh, verse 26, that second part, at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord, has puzzled me for a while. Because it's like, well, Eve is acknowledging God. I'm trusting Adam is acknowledging God too. Like, is that not count? Like, what's happening here? And the more I looked into this this week, um, the more that I saw the um, fullness of that word, of that phrase, call upon. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's translated this way for, for certain reasons, but it has a fuller, um, it, it's communicating more. And what it's communicating more of is that at that time, people began to proclaim the name of the Lord. People could have been having like some sort of a relationship with God, but they started even, and many people believe, they started public gatherings to proclaim the name of the Lord. Um, It's likely they're doing this to Cain's family line. (laughs) So Seth, they, they are, Enosh, like they are actually now proclaiming to, they're, they're seeking to evangelize Cain's lineage, to share about God's ways, about, about what it would look like to follow God. Uh, that, that, and it is through Seth's lineage that Noah comes. It's through Seth's lineage that Jesus will come. And, uh, and a principle, I think, about God, about us in this, is that faith proclaims God's provision. Faith proclaims God's provision. Um, so it says people get, began to call upon the name of the Lord or proclaim the name of the Lord. And another really fascinating thing in this short verse, the end of verse, the 
second half of verse 26, is this is the first time the name Yahweh is used in the, in the Bible to speak about God. So God has multiple names, like God, Lord, things like that. Um, there's a name Elohim, that when you hear that word Elohim, it's kind of like emphasizing his power, his like creation power and stuff like that. The, the name Yahweh is only used for God, and Yahweh emphasizes he is a relational God. He's a relational God. So um, Islam, for instance, um, the Islamic view of God is that God is not relational, that God is too powerful, too like far away, that, that if any person tried to be in relationship with him, that would be the most arrogant, sinful, prideful, um, wrath of God giving thing is to try to, you know, be like me, like showing up at the White House and being like, I demand to be friends with the president. And they'd be like, who are you? Why would you even think of that? Like, you're the, if you think you can have a relationship with him, you're the last person that should be knocking on the door. Um, so that is like an Islamic view of God. And what the God view of God is, is like even in the name Yahweh, saying, I am a relational God. I, I want to have relationship with you. And remember, Cain's, all of his actions are not because God walked away from him, but because he walked away from a relational God. And then in Seth's family, Enosh, what they started doing is proclaiming, saying, this is a relational God. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you know, your family to be, you know, you, for you to be in his family. The, the reality of proclaiming God's provision of relationship for all we need in this life, celebrating it. And man, I think an obvious question for us is like, would we proclaim that with our lives? Would we proclaim that today? In an affluent, self-indulgent society, the righteous must preserve the knowledge of the Lord. Must in a, we don't want to, but we should, but must in a, there's nothing else we would want to do and be about. And like, Lord, would you form that in us? As Noah will live this out as, as Jesus following in Seth's lineage, uh, we will see live this out in a way unlike any other. Um, the people who are not just walking with God, but publicly proclaiming God's way, God's provision, God's hand in their life. And they did it then. And would we be the community to do it today? Might sound simple. <laughs> it's gonna take everything from all of us. And I think a way that you can proclaim God's provision is by giving your life to him. To say, I, I'm proclaiming your provision by my response, which is, here I am, save me. Your life for mine. Like, I, I will give you my life, you give me your life, and I will live, um, I will live in you. I will put on Christ your provision I accept.
in salvation. And man, you don't have to give anything. Um, the only thing that we bring to our salvation is our sin. Hey, here's what I brought to the table. And he brings everything else. His righteousness, his grace, his kindness, his power changes us. We proclaim God's provision through salvation. We proclaim God's provision through sanctification. It's a big word. Um, simply explained is that sanctification is the process of God making us look less like us and more like Jesus in every area of our lives. You know, sometimes like this is, people joke like this is one of the last parts of sanctification is our wallet. <laughs> um, it's like, okay, have everything except my Amazon list or whatever it may be. But it's like, no, God, I want you to have everything. I want you to get into every nook and cranny of my life because I'm believing that in your provision for me to figure out why I act this way, why I act this way. Like my kids and I, we went to the Jordan Creek Mall yesterday and I felt like it turned into a sanctification lesson. <laughs> it was like, why are we yelling at each other? Why in this great fun moment are we all wanting to not be here right now? And, you know, and all these stuff and realize like sometimes we didn't even know where it was coming from. It was like something is happening in me that I don't know what's happening in me, but it's not where I want to be. It's not what I want to be like. And I need Jesus and you guys to show me, like, why am I like this? Why am I responding like this? God, would you be my provision in that question? Would you supply the power for me to change here? so that next week or next time we go to Jordan Creek, we can enjoy it a little bit more and be in the fun zone longer or whatever it may be, you know, because I don't want to be like this. And I want to proclaim God's provision over my sanctification, over all the areas that he wants, because he is Yahweh. He is a relational God, and he, he's serious about that. He doesn't want to know us from a distance. He wants to know us closer than we even know ourselves. And he can teach us more about why we are the way we are, you know, how to get to where he wants us to get to, what that looks like, and how we can do that together, supporting each other along the way. So Lord, I do ask that you would truly be the provision for each of us. I thank you that Enosh called upon the name of the Lord, proclaimed you, and he is not here, and we are and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Lord, I'm believing that you are calling us into such a pursuit, into learning how to walk with you. And, God, if, you're, if what you're inviting someone in here into today is to just come home, maybe as life has looked a little bit more like Cain than Abel or Seth, God, that your kindness is at any time you are ready to receive us with open arms. And um, that's just how gracious you are. And God, maybe you would just be communicating that to somebody in here where they, there's no way they could leave here without giving their life to you, letting you be their provision for generations, that, that generational things would happen this morning. And Lord, if we've been resisting your provision in a part of our lives where you're inviting us to lay that down, 
maybe stop being defined that way. Let you redefine us, our ways, that they would be your ways. Lord, would, would our flesh, our sin, our walls be down so that you can do what you want to do in our lives this morning? We pray. Amen. A tangible response while we don't stop anything that the Lord's doing, but a tangible way to say, like, I, I want my response to be towards Jesus. I want my response to be towards my living Savior is to come to the table. Uh, the communion table is, is his idea to tangibly commune with Jesus. And uh, so let's spend some moments to let him keep doing what he's doing in us. Um, if you want to pray with me or talk through something, I'm... I'm I would love that. I'll be right over here uh, looking to him too. Um, but when you're ready, come down the center. The drawers will serve, serve you. Just hold your hands out um, and take the elements. Remain standing and we'll take it together. I'll lead us through that. Um, if, if you feel like today is the day of salvation for me, um, I, I would encourage you, if, if you want to talk to me or someone close to you, please do. But the most important thing is just to talk to God about that. And uh, he answers that prayer every time he's told us. So uh, talk to him about that. Let's spend some moments with him and let's come.